How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. With almost 1.1 billion atheists on our planet today, and about 10% of the American population claiming that they are atheists, atheism is a paradigm, a theological reality that we have to deal with. My name is Terrence Brown Lodendi, and our podcast is Biblical Christianity Podcast. As always, I got my good buddy, uh, Brother Tom Moore, sitting beside me. He's one of our instructors at the Texas School of Preaching and our Dean of Students. Tom, good to have you here always. Good to be here. Yes, sir. So on our last episode, we began to talk about atheism, and we talked about uh, some very critical aspects of atheism. What is this mindset? What is the definition of it? We looked at why people have assumed that particular mindset, what is the appeal of atheism. And of course, we looked at some of what the Bible's got to say. We looked at some other bits of information and evidences that tend to give us an explanation as to why atheism becomes such a popular worldview these days. And it's ever-growing, is it not, Brother Tom? Exactly right. You know, we it's being taught in our universities. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times young people believe it because I think they think it's cool. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of people who claim to be homosexual no more than because that's just a in thing to be right now right and so and i think atheism is the in thing to be as is uh, socialism and things mm-hmm. of that nature and in reality most of our young people have no idea the repercussions and all that the details in their life if they hold those positions that's exactly right exactly right on this episode what we want to deal with in regards to that is what are the proofs for the existence of god because again if you let the atheist tell the story they're going to tell you that you're a fool Mm -hmm. that you're insane to quote from richard dawkins which we quoted from in the last episode that you're either ignorant or insane or stupid Mm -hmm. if you don't believe in evolution which is the diametric opposite of the the theistic position and and of course like you said they're being force-fed that type of thing they're being made to feel uh be they're being made to be belittled if they believe Mm -hmm. that god exists but there's a couple of things that we're going to, to be able to show in this episode to show you that really the shoe was on the other foot. You think about the foolish nature of a uh, theistic, of a uh, theo- theological position, and atheism is the position that really is a foolish position. And think about a couple of different things uh, when it comes to atheism. I want to read you a couple of things here real quickly as we get into this. But this comes uh, from a, an episode on uh, PBS a little while ago and they were talking about atheism or evolution and here's what they said here's how some scientists think some eyes may have have evolved so they're talking about the so-called evolution of the eye well what do you have to say we really want to hear what these guys got, got to say well here it is the simple light sensitive spot on the skin of some ancestral creature gave it some tiny survival advantage perhaps allowing it to evade a predator Random changes then created a depression in the light-sensitive path, a deepening pit that made vision a little sharper, and they got vision in quotation marks. At the same time, the pit's opening gradually narrowed so that light entered through a small aperture. 
like a pinhole camera. Eventually, the light-sensitive spot evolved into a retina, the layer of cells and pigment at the back of the human eye. Over time, a lens formed in front of the eye. That is their explanation of where the eye comes from. Mm -hmm. Is that absolutely just uh, ridiculous? All right. You know, the eye, in reality, is one of the best proofs of the God of the Bible. You know, I think about the idea between uh, evolution and a connection with atheism. Uh, I've heard many atheists say that they believe in evolution because if they don't, then they're going to have to believe in God because there's no other way to explain the universe and our own existence without God apart from evolution. And so that's why uh, people like Charles Darwin had to come up with this stupid thing anyway. That's exactly right. And you at least have a little bit of respect for someone who at least admits that. Yeah. The reason why we believe in evolution is because if we don't, we have to believe in God. Mm -hmm. And again, that's there's no other alternative. There's no other alternative. And when you talk about the belief or the existence of God, there is no other plausible somewhat plausible explanation that man has been able to come up with derived from his imagination than this idea of Darwinian evolution. And if that's the best that they've got, then man, this is an easy day at the, at the office. Is it not? Yeah. You know, we have uh, recently uh, listened to a uh, debate with an atheist uh, in the school of preaching. And mm -hmm. then there's the uh, Thomas Warren, Anthony flu debates. And when you look at those debates <laughs> and you listen to them, those guys, they don't have anything. They stumble around. They don't have any evidence. And whenever a man who has uh, proof on his side that God exists, they just stumble and, and splatter and make jokes. They cannot answer the argument. They cannot. You talk about Anthony Flew. You mentioned that in 1976 in Denton. Uh, Anthony Flew, one of the most renowned atheists of his day, of any age for that matter, debated against one of our brethren, Thomas B. Warren, and if you ever watch that debate, most preaching schools will show that debate in uh, logic classes or in debate classes or whatever the case may be. And, and, and whenever Thomas Warren pressed Anthony Flew on an explanation for the just the design of the eyeball, mm -hmm. where did the eye come from? Kid you not, this is a direct quote. Anthony Flew says, it just growed. <laughs> that's not my bad grammar. That's his. That's I'm, that's a direct quote. That's what he yeah. said. It just growed. That's the best, the most renowned atheist, the most skilled atheist of the day had when pressed about the design of the eye. How does it come about? Well, it just growed. Yeah. Just growed. That is absolute abject foolishness. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I believe that I've heard that uh, Anthony Flew came in as an atheist and left as an agnostic because right. uh, he just could not answer the arguments. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things we want to mention today is uh, some of the arguments for the existence of God. And the first one we'll look at, perhaps, is the cosmological argument, uh, also known as cause and effect. Mm -hmm. We might ask the question, why is there something instead of nothing? Right. The universe exists. It's real. The universe must somehow be explained. Mm -hmm. There is a law in science known as the laws of causality, and this law states that every material effect must have an adequate antecedent cause. So far as scientific knowledge can attest, the law of causality knows no exceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, in the scientific realm, the law of causality is an actually truth that is true by definition or analysis. There are no known exceptions uh, to this law, uh, is that, that's exactly what the uh, 
Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4, doesn't it? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, God spoke everything that exists into yeah. existence. And without God, you have no existence. Nothing comes from no thing. And let me say it this way. No thing comes from nothing. Yeah. You think about the law of biogenesis, the law of biogenesis. And from a scientific standpoint, this is something that has been proven uh, to not exist. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea of something comes from nothing. Uh, whenever, whenever you look at this spontaneous generation is what I'm talking about, the law of biogenesis or, or this idea of spontaneous generation. It's, it's, it's non-existent. That is a, a scientific farce. Mm-hmm. I want to read you something from uh, biochemist Michael Behe from uh, his, his book, Darwin's Black Box. Now, Michael Behe, I want to say this before I make this, this quotation. I want to let you know that Michael Behe is, you know, he's a theistic uh, evolutionist theistic evolutionist and so obviously we don't believe in evolution or theistic evolution you might explain briefly what theistic evolution is yeah so it's the idea of, of someone who tries to have it both ways yeah. is really what it is someone who wants to believe that god exists but they want to believe also in the the, the idea the notion of evolution and of course a lot of these guys in this area of professional uh, science uh, they, they 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 don't want to ridicule I'm not saying that about Behe. I don't know Behe that well. I've met him. I don't know him that well. But I'm not saying this applies to him, but I know it applies to a lot of these guys. They they want to believe in God because the evidence is overwhelming, as we're going to show you here in just a moment. But they also don't want to be ridiculed or ostracized in the realm of their scientific fields of, of endeavor. Yeah. And so they come up with this compromise, mm-hmm. this theistic evolution. Well, God made it. He made the universe, but he made it through the process of evolution. And, of course, we, we don't give give them that because that's not what the Bible says. And so looking at his book, he's got a lot of good things to say. He's a biochemist, and, and so uh, he's got expertise in this field. He's a professor up on the northeast. I think he's up in the northeast somewhere. But he says this. He says, science has made enormous progress in understanding how the chemistry of life works. But the elegance and complexity of biological systems at the molecular level have paralyzed science's attempts to explain their origins. There has been virtually no attempt to account for the origin of specific complex biomolecular systems, much less any progress. Many scientists have gamely asserted that that explanations are already at hand or will be sooner or later, but no support for such assertions can be found in the professional science literature. More importantly, there are compelling reasons based on the structure of the systems themselves to think that a Darwinian explanation for the mechanisms of life will forever prove elusive. Mm -hmm. Now here is a biochemist and a renowned one at that who says, that when it comes to evolution, evolution has no explanation. Darwinian evolution has no explanation for the origins of things that exist. Terrence, there's only two explanations for the existence of our world. Either something came from nothing or the universe is eternal. Well, concerning the universe being eternal, the second law of thermodynamics states that energy is employed to perform work and is transformed from a usable to a non-usable form. In other words, the universe is running down because energy is becoming less and less available for use. Modern science denies an eternal existence to the universe. Scientific evidence states clearly that the universe had a beginning, something, uh, something eternal things do not have, nor do eternal things run down. 
The second law of thermodynamics requires the universe to have a beginning. Now, if a person holds to the fact of something coming from nothing, nobody in their right mind believes nothing comes from something unless there was a creator who began the whole process. You know, you hear a lot about this Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, where did it come from? How did it get started? Uh, You know, they get themselves painted into a corner and they can't get out of it. They really do. When you think about the Big Bang Theory, and of course now you got the multiverse theory that's also very prevalent. You hear about these things. You talk about indoctrination. You can't watch a Marvel movie without them talking about the multiverse and all of this stuff like that. That's fine. That's Hollywood. But we we got to understand these things make no sense in real life. And so when you talk about the Big Bang, there's a couple of problems that are inherent in that particular theory. Number one, we've all seen things blow up before. We celebrate Independence Day in this country, the 4th of July. And so probably just about everybody in this country from the earliest, from the youngest of children up to adults have seen things blow up. I mean, when we were kids, we used to take firecrackers, man, and we would put them underneath, you know, pieces of paper, whatever, you know, we could, little cans or something, just to watch the thing blow up, see the damage that it would do. So how is it the case that we come up with a theory and people with brains believe this, Mm -hmm. that something blew up and you have all of the beautiful order that you have in the universe? And you look at the field of astronomy and you understand that the universe is fine-tuned to the point to where if anything is adjusted one way or the other then this this world it, it becomes in, in inhabitable or uninhabitable excuse me and and so we, we realize that and again whenever things blow up they generally explode we've we've seen the results of wars that have taken place we were have been involved in multiple gulf wars and and wars over in the middle east and we can see on the news media the result of things that have been blown up right now there are things a war going on in israel you see the results of things that have been blown up on the gaza strip and there's no time in human history that something has blown up and, and the result was beautiful, uh, well-calculated uh, order. Yeah. All right? And so, and then the second thing with that is, is people want you to believe in this Big Bang Theory. Well, you know, there's a particle, a small particle that's so small that it'll fit on the tip of a ballpoint pen, and that's what exploded to give us everything that we have. But two problems with that. Number one, where did the, where did the particle that can fit on the ballpoint pen, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. See, we're not going to give you the particle. That's right. All right we're not going to give you that. you gotta, yeah. you got to have an explanation as to where that came from. Exactly. You know, all the available evidence shows that the universe had a beginning. Therefore, mm-hmm. the universe must have had an adequate cause. That's right. Since the universe is not eternal and it did not create itself from nothing, the only remaining alternative is the universe was created by something superior to itself. Mm -hmm. Since no effect can be greater than a cause, it therefore follows this. The first cause of limitless space must be infinite. Mm -hmm. The first cause of endless time must be eternal. The first cause of boundless energy must be omnipotent. The first cause of infinite complexity must be omniscient. The first cause of moral values must be moral. The first cause of spiritual values must be spiritual. The first cause of human integrity must be truthful. The first cause of human love must be loving. And the first cause of life must be living. Can any of these things be said about matter? 
No. That's right. Therefore, mind is eternal. The mind of God, mm-hmm. eternal. He is the or- origin of the universe. Let me tell you about Tom. That's the only thing that makes sense. That is the only thing that makes sense. Again, just going back to where we left off in the last episode and where we started in this one, people want to look at at, at uh, theism, those of us who believe in an intelligent creator as the ones who are ignorant, insane, and stupid. When we look at the other side of this coin, when you look at this thing more carefully with integrity, know their position is the one that really does not have any sensibility or any intelligence to, uh, to fuel it. And so we've we got to understand that. I want, I want to read something else along with that. In one of uh, the lectureship books uh, a number of years ago, uh, The Whole Council of God was the, the name of the lecture. Uh, Randy Maybe quotes from deceased atheist Anthony Flew. And he, t- he quotes from him affirming that Charles Darwin himself acknowledged that the process of evolution requires a creator to start the process. So a lot of times when you think about Darwinian evolution and those who promote it and advance it, they'll never tell you. They'll never tell you that Darwin himself, Darwin himself says that we got a problem here where origins of things are concerned. Of course, we can read about his uh, scientific research that he conducted on the Galapagos Islands with the finches especially and this idea of what we would call microevolution, which he says, you know, this thing implies macroevolution, which certainly does not. But no, no matter what conclusion he draws, something he says that he admits to is that we've got a problem with the origins of things. All right. So that's certainly the case. And I want to give you one more quote. This is from the late brother Robert R. Taylor. He says, evolution is impotent in dealing with how life arrived. Evolutionists glibly talk about the survival of the fittest. They need to address the arrival before addressing the survival. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so that's the idea. Either you know, either matter is eternal or, or something created nothing or there is an eternal God. Those are your only choices. That's it. And the only logical choice mm-hmm. is that God created all things. That's right. With that being said, let's move on to the next argument, and that is the teleological argument. So we deal with the cosmological argument. It says if there is something that exists, there's got to be a reason for its existence as far as matter or material things are concerned. The material universe has got to have something bigger than it Mm -hmm. that is responsible for its existence that's what we're talking about you know atheists want to say what about god we we didn't say that everything that exists has to have a creator everything that is matter that exists has to have have a creator Mm -hmm. god is eternal all right so they can't use that argument it's 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 irrational and absurd but then in second place teleological argument this is an argument that says if there is design if you can detect design then you can infer a designer and that is certainly the case and so whenever we look at the world around us i'm telling you something that scientists are unanimous on Mm -hmm. and that is the fact that in this universe you see design exactly you see design and so if there is design then logically speaking rationally speaking there has got to be a designer i'm telling you you take something as simple as a ballpoint pen i was trying to see if i got one in my pocket i don't you got one but there it is so you take something as simple as a pen we can look at this pen and we see design here mm-hmm. we see design you can take it apart you see design look at the outside of it you see design whenever you write with it you see design and purpose and if that is the case then there's got to be a designer. let me tell you there's no scientist on earth all right, Charles Darwin, 
Richard Dawkins. None of these people will look at this ballpoint pen and tell you, yeah, that this thing doesn't have a designer. Right, that would be an exercise in insanity mm -hmm. to make that statement. And they know this. They would never admit to that. But yet still, you take something that is infinitely more detailed, infinitely more complex than this pen, you, for instance, a human being, and they want you to believe that you are the process of random uh, events and chance and that there is no designer that is responsible for you or this earth on which we walk or this universe in which we live. Yeah, you know, one of the laws of thought employed in the field of logic is the law of rationality, which states that one should expect as true only those conclusions for which there is adequate evidence. Mm -hmm. The various arguments presented by theists, uh, by those who believe in God, all combined make an ironclad case for the existence of God. Uh, where one argument fails to impress or mm -hmm. convince and inquire, there's another one that's available. And the teleological or the argument from design is one of those. You know, you think about, for example, uh, when we talk about the argument from design. And let's think about for a moment the design of the universe. Mm -hmm. You know, our universe operates in accordance with exact scientific laws. The precision of the universe and the exactness of these laws allow scientists to launch rockets to the moon mm -hmm. with full knowledge that upon their arrival they can within a few be within a few feet of their intended target. Such precision and exactness also allow astronomers to predict solar and uh, lunar eclipses in advance or to determine when Halley Comet comes around the Earth once more. It's just, it just the design behind this, the, mm -hmm. the moving of the Earth and everything, there has to be a designer. It's got to be a designer. Look at the calibration, and scientists have been able to uh, figure it, can, can, uh, the calibration of everything in, in this universe just about. And, and so with that being said, again, to assume or to assert that there is no designer to all of that, that all of this comes about through the processes of randomness and chance is just that's foolish in and of itself. You talk about teleological, the teleological argument. If there's design, there must be a designer. Look, that's I'm one of all people who understand the the rationale behind this argument. If there's a design, there's got to be designer. I was a graphic designer in in a college. That was my major. University of Oklahoma I was a graphic designer and in the graphic design department we didn't take tests we didn't take exams what we did was we had projects to work on sometimes as groups sometimes as individual and so you have a project you know maybe you had to design a package for a box set of CDs or you had to design a new package for a piece of software or whatever we had to design thing maybe you have to design the layout for a billboard a set of billboards for the zoo or whatever the case may be so you've got to design you got a certain amount of time. You got a deadline. You got to design those things. Well, guess what? You know, whenever I was a freshman in college, besides going to school, I was falling in love with my beautiful wife of, of over 30 years. And and so I would really like to have been able to spend a lot more time with her than having to sit at a computer and design something for my critique, for my for my grade. Look, if it was up to me, I'll be able to produce these designs in the absence of the designer, 
Man, if I could just snap my finger or wish real hard that my designs were there so I can continue to spend time courting my wife, then that's what I would have done. But here's what I know of an assurity. If there was going to be a design available for my critique for me to get a grade, then there was going to have to be a designer. That's the way it works. Yeah, you think about this uh, idea of design. And in our last episode, you mentioned the I. Uh, you know, and uh, Charles Darwin said, it's absurd to the highest degree to think that the I could come from natural selection. Mm -hmm. But you know, the eye is the most perfect camera ever known to man. Mm -hmm. uh, each human eye composes over 107 billion cells, 7 million cones allowing the eye to see in full color, in living color, 100 million rods allowing the eye to see black and white and grays. The eye is connected to the brain by over 300,000 nerves and can detect light at uh, as, as feeble as one hundredth trillionth of a watt mm. i mean do we really think that we're going to believe that this eye <laughs> just happened by accident yeah. there had to be a designer any logical man any person would understand that very issue and brother tom you're describing just one small portion of the entire system that is the yes. human body just one small portion of it man this is absolutely remarkable that you have people who subscribe to this. But again, it's not because they have science on their side because science becomes an insurmountable foe to the evolutionary idea or notion. It's not because they have sensibility on their side, the philosophical arguments, a war against the idea of atheism and evolution. And it's certainly not you know, because they they have a scripture on their side either. Man, we look at the scripture and the scripture affirms from beginning to end that God exists. And so... Really, all they have on their side is is what we've talked about before in the last episode, ridicule. Ridicule, they want to make you think that you are a fool. They want to belittle you and, and make you believe that you are stupid or inferior if you believe that God exists. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, it's, I heard someone say this one point in time, atheism is a religion. Yeah. It's a religion. It's, it's not science. Evolution is not science. Uh, when you go back, I remember being in third and fourth grade and learning the scientific process. And one of the things that I remember, I don't remember everything about it, but one thing I do remember is that your conclusions have to be testable. The conclusions that you've drawn, they have to be testable. you got to be able to test these things. And, and evolution, of course, requires, according to the theory, billions and billions of years. How do you test? How does any man test It has test to be reproducible, anything? right? It's got to be reproducible. And, of course, whenever you look at what people have claimed as evidences for, uh, for, the, for evolution— it's all been farces. It's all been hoaxes. Man, we, whether we're talking about Lucy or, or whether we're talking about Nebraska man, a Piltdown man, or uh, Heckel's recapitulation theory, all of these things have been proven to be hoaxes and farces. There is no uh, evidence in the archaeological records, paleontological records of any intermediate creature or any, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what, what's the other nickname to use for that? I can't think of it right now. Uh, Middleman, if you yeah. will. Yeah, the, the, well, there should be a, some transition in there. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if, if a person was evolving from one thing to another, you would expect to find millions and millions of those uh, transitional creatures. creatures. Yeah. But guess what? They have not found a single one. If they had one, mm -hmm. 
If they had two, that's right. If they had a hundred, man, they would be shouting off the rooftops. They would, but it is not there. It's not there. Missing link is a word the I was trying, link, trying yeah. to think about a moment ago. But yeah, they they fabricated so-called missing links, but there is no true mm-hmm. evidence in the fossil record. There's no evidence in the fossil record. The fossil record is absolutely absent where this thing is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the the later farces that they've come up with was I remember the, a National Geographic magazine had an article called Feathers for T-Rex, Feathers for T-Rex. I actually got a copy of that uh, National Geographic in my library, and they come out, or I think it was over in China, where they found the fossil. Finally, we found it, the missing link. We found a dinosaur that's got feathers. And come to find out, when it's all said and done, this was a hoax, a fabrication that someone put together. Come to find out that over there, the the more elaborate the fossil that was found was, the more money it brought. And so someone actually taken two fossils, put them together, one of you know some bird feathers, obviously, and a, and a dinosaur put them together. And National Geographic, one of the most renowned and celebrated of these scientific magazines, runs this thing only to have to make a retraction of it a little while later because they found out it's a farce and it's a hoax. Mm-hmm. There you have it, man. There is no evidence. There's no evidence. In the short time we got left, we only got about two minutes left. Let's talk about the moral argument yeah. a little bit, Brother Tom. You know, when you think about the moral argument, you know, we all have moral judgments, judgment about rightness or wrongness. The question I have is where did this moral idea come from? Mm-hmm. Did it evolve from animals? You look at a- animals don't have morals. They'll go out sure. there and... Uh, a, a bull will will have uh, his time with all these other cows out there. It didn't bother him. He didn't have one cow. Right. You know, wild animals will destroy and eat other animals. They don't have any moral uh, things about that. It's just in their nature. Where did the moral entity come from? There's only one place that it could come mm-hmm. from, and that is a moral being, and the only moral being is God. That's exactly right. If there is an objective moral standard, and there is, and there's got to be an, uh, an author of that objective moral mm-hmm. standard. And if there is no objective moral standard, then, then there is no God. But the fact of the matter is there's an objective moral standard, so therefore there is a God. We understand that. If, if there is no God, then there cannot ever be a, a, a moral standard. No one can ever say that, hey, this is right, this is wrong. If there is no God, what would be the basis for that? Yeah. What would be the standard or the measuring rod? Your opinion? Why is your opinion any better than my That's opinion? Right. You know, you think about the, the Nazis and Germany and all that. What makes you think that they're wrong and you're right on this issue without some moral standard? Uh, is a non-human animal, does it have morals? No. Yeah. Does an inanimate object have morals? No. Mm-hmm. Well, the only way, place that morals could come from then is... From God. That's it. That's it. And so, look, there's so much more we can say about this. We are out of time. We're so sorry about that. Hopefully, we'll be able to revisit this issue again. But God, at the end of the day, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, God exists. We will all stand before Him in final judgment. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse number ten. Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, verse number thirteen. It behooves us to research the topic, accept the evidence, go where the evidence takes you. And if you do that, you will come to believe that there is a God, our creator, the eternal, sovereign creator of heaven. Thank you for your time. Thank you for visiting us in the Biblical Christianity Podcast.